Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate as commercial surf parks open up all around the world. I'm your host, Brian Dickerson, editor at Wave Pool Mag. And together we'll explore this amazing new landscape by talking to the dreamers, developers, engineers, and everyone making this space happen. These are the personalities who are defining the breadth and scope of artificial wave making today. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My guest today is Nick Houndsfield, founder and CEO of The Wave in Bristol. 12 years ago, he started the journey wanting to build a wave pool here in uh, Western England. And his journey took him through many different technologies, many different locations, a lot of different fundraising opportunities. And three years ago, they opened for the first time, then suffered COVID as all surf parks around the world and everyone in general has gone through. And today, with people traveling at the end of a busy summer season, uh, we caught up with Nick to find out how it went and what their future plans are going to be. Nick, thank you very much for your patience and doing the podcast today. Pleasure. Yeah. Good to meet you at last. Yes, you too. We've only known each other through email and correspondence through marketing and PR departments. So it's good to see you here. Human, you are human. I am. I am. Mostly. (laughs) Great. So it's it's wonderful to be here at The Wave Mm -hmm. again. My last visit was two years ago, right before COVID. Yep. Your surf park was quite different then. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of things have have changed as you've evolved mm-hmm. a, as an entity. And can you can you tell me about how that evolution came about? Was the changes like the camping cabins, mm-hmm. the food trucks, the outer area, the half pipe? Was that an idea from the get go, or did that just kind of evolve organically through community need? A bit of both, really. I think when you first when you first visited, I mean, it was it was really raw at that stage. I mean, it was literally a slice of the ocean, like put in the middle of the countryside, but it was still all around. It was still a building site. We were very much at the early stage, and we were probably running around like headless chickens, trying to put out fires and work out what have we built and how is this all going to work. You seem to have it together, though. You did a great. Yeah, that's no, great. Yeah, yeah, we, we like. I think it's a bit like swans. It's graceful at the top and we're paddling like crazy underneath. But no, we, you know, amazing team who, you know, obviously still delivering a great experience, but it was really raw at that time. And yeah, the whole site, I mean, the aspirations for the whole of the wave is much more than purely surfing. I mean, surfing is the kind of the hook and the anchor that bring people to the space and give that real novelty factor of not just getting in the water and, and riding waves but also coming and visiting and looking at waves and, you know, and that whole general visitors coming here just to check it out, see, see this weird thing that we've created. And so there's a real balance between people, you know, core surfers who are wanting to come along, making sure that we're delivering a a good experience for them, but then people introducing people to the sport for the very first time. And that first introduction might be them coming and, having a look at it, look, look at it and see the people who are giving, giving, a, you know, ha- having a go at it and then go, actually, 
I am going to come back. I'm going to put myself in. And, I'm, you know, it feels like this is an accessible sport to, to have a go at. So, you know, and I think, I think you know, we're not blessed with millions and millions and millions of surfers in the UK. So it's about bringing on the grassroots and making sure that the barriers, either the perceived or real barriers, could be financial barriers, it could be cultural barriers, it could be perception barriers that you know, I, I can't see that I'd ever surf. Actually, the more that we have people in, in the waves uh, that represent more of the people out there, um, then, then people then go, right, let's, let's give it a go. So, yeah, so we've evolved this just a little bit through talking to our customers, what they need and what their wants are, but also have a much bigger vision about what we could see this whole place as a destination bringing. Well, let's, uh, let's go back. You mentioned barriers you, to surfing and people uh, experiencing surfing, whether it's cultural or, mm-hmm. or financial. And I, I noticed yesterday you had a, a group in mm-hmm. the water through mm-hmm. the wave. Uh, what is the name? The wave? Wave project, Was yes, it that one? the wave yeah. project, the wave project. The, exactly. Yeah, and you, you had a wonderful group of volunteers getting people out into the pool. How did that come about, and is that a key component to your your philosophy for the surf park? Yeah, it's 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 completely bolted in the DNA of of the wave. It was always about creating something for people of all ages, all backgrounds, and all abilities. So, if you create amazing waves, then the surfers will come, as we know. But actually, to start breaking down those barriers, so we teamed up with a lovely guy called Joe, Joe Taylor, who started the Wave Project, which is a CIC sort of charity type organization that brings young kids who've got learning difficulties, early stage sort of anxiety, depression, and use surf therapy as a tool to look after their health and well-being. And so um, we spoke before the Wave was even built and said, look, we want to build this place and make sure that we're looking after those kids and let's see if we can work as partners to this and they helped us a lot with the planning application and tried to show the evidence base around why and how surfing can really affect people's health and well-being and then as soon as we're able to we then said let's let's hold a project here so i think we're in our fourth or fifth season of bringing kids here and we do that every week and yeah, bring volunteers together. A lot of the volunteers are also wave makers, uh, the people that work here. And it just creates an amazing atmosphere, great vibe. And, you know, the more and more we can do that, the better I think, and the more the more holistic this whole place becomes. Again, we start to see people of, you know, very different backgrounds coming here rather than feeling like it's constantly a middle-class white playground, which for me would make me feel like I failed. So I really want to make sure that 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 diversity is embedded from the start. Now, how uniquely in Bristol, you can can see that and kind of tailor your programs to the community here. As the wave expands, Mm -hmm. you've got projects in London Mm -hmm. and elsewhere. How is that uh, community involvement going to adapt or change as each community is is different and fit in with your uh, your project as the yeah. wave expands? Yeah, so I guess it's it's mainly around finding. It's it's about it's just talking to people. It's communication, like from the get go, getting out there before even putting plans down. It's like who's out there? Who's who's in that community? If we can actually tap into the local community and find out what their needs are. So, for instance, in in London, it might be that surfing is not on their top agenda right now. Actually being confident in water, even having access to water, maybe even access to green space and blue space 
is that you know something that they don't even know how good it is so you need to sort of pair it right back and not assume that everybody just wants to go surfing that it's it's like a stepped increase towards that so it's just it's just communication going out and tapping into the right groups of people in those right areas finding out what their needs are see how those needs we could solve some of those needs as long as it's within our brand and the DNA of what we're wanting to do, then you go, right, where, where are those interfaces that we can, we can work with? And then finding community advocates. So finding the influencers out there, the, the community leaders to then go like, this is what we want to bring. Are you on board with it? And if they are, then they can become advocates for those communities. So it's not me always being there going, this is, this is really good for you. It's actually local leaders who are going, yeah, this is something that we should get on board with. And as you do this, as you expand, can you share more with us about your current expansion plans? At the moment, I mean, obviously we've been through some pretty gnarly times as we all have. So the next year is going to be about really, really sort of keeping it really tight in terms of the way that we operate, like getting like really pinning down the blueprint to then be able to roll out. So, you know, the first year it was COVID year, second year it was weird because we didn't have there was no international travel. So there was a lot of people staying in the UK. So you had like really inflated numbers of people wanting to come. And then somewhere between the two is, is, is the reality. So I think this year should be a bit more reality, whilst obviously there's a bit of a, an economic climate that we're, we're working through. And then once, that, once we've really pinned that down, then I think that we've then got a real blueprint that we can then roll out to different locations. So yeah, we're looking at couple of sites in London, in Ireland, a few other sites around the UK. And, and then the next the next step will be, I would imagine within five years, is then starting looking at, at, at projects abroad, properly abroad, you know, in, in the continent. So, yeah. And looking, having been in the uh, wave pool space for 12 years now? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, since the beginning wave garden foil mm-hmm. type technology and then evolving to the cove. Yeah you are able to see other parks open up and their whole business model Mm -hmm. and such and what are if if you do you have any reflections about the space now because it's grown phenomenally in Mm -hmm. just 12 years and Mm -hmm. in the next five years it will grow exponentially yep do you have any insights or just personal feelings about where you see the space going for me i guess the the main the main thing for me is around making sure we're future facing as as an industry as a as a nascent industry you know there's no getting away from the fact that the two biggest costs for these these places particularly operating are people and the power in you know, the power consumption and i think we, to not tackle that head on from from the get go it would be would be a travesty i think and and it will really set us up as an in- industry to fail so for us you know we you know we started off making sure that we're off grid in terms of drawing from renewables. And then by next year, we're going to be completely off grid and um, generating our own power through uh, solar and battery storage here on site. And I think that we're now, obviously there's been energy crisis this, this year, but actually we, we always were wanting to, to go off grid and it's just supercharged our plans to do it. And from now on, I think we're, we're only going to do projects where we can be completely off grid or have, have a dedicated supply for us that's renewable. It's the right thing to do. It makes financial sense to do. But I think that we should be looking as an industry 
And I know it, it increases the capital cost to do these things, but I think it doesn't make sense if we're creating perfect waves and it's at the cost of real waves in the ocean, the acidification of nature and the destruction of coral reefs. You know, just, just feel like if we're going to be doing, making a new industry, uh, we should be, the people who are starting it should be doing it in the right way and like set, up, set a benchmark in the way that we do this. Because otherwise, my concern is that if we don't, then people will come in who just don't care about these kind of things and we'll just be using surfing as a bit of a, an amusement attraction or something that just leverages a bit more sort of money for them through, you know, maybe through a real estate play or what have you. So I just hope that, I really hope that that conscience is there for people working into this space. And I'd love to be, and I think we should be open source around this, like share, share that, the views and help other people try and achieve the right thing. Cause I think we've got real responsibility as leaders in an in industry to do it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. Is there a good channel of communication between you and the other surf parks? Are you, are you in touch? Are you sharing information, sharing data? I know with uh, wave garden, you all are connected to the same hub mm -hmm. in uh, the Basque country for mm -hmm. information goes through there, mm -hmm. but in terms of daily operations, maybe power sourcing, you know, staffing lifeguards, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. are, are you able to to talk with one? Yes, yeah, so we do. We do. Um, so Wavegarden are our main conduits for for communications. Like we 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 share stuff with them, and you know they they get better and better understanding of the more operational side of you know running these places, and, and obviously that then informs other parks coming into operation. To be fair, I'd say that over the last three years, we've just been running so fast, not had time. I, I mentioned to you earlier, I like want to. I want to get to some other places and be able to have that shared learning and, and be able to, you know, good communication partnerships where they could potentially be alive. You know, it's, it's a big old world out there and uh, there aren't many of us around and actually we just need the industry to work really, really well. It, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's bad for us if some, some other part fails because, well, because it's just, it's, it's a reflection of the industry. So I think the more and more people, and it's why I love, you know, what you do um, like, and, and working with Surf Park Central is like the more, the more those kind of things happen and the, the, the more quality conversations we can have without feeling like people are treading on our IP or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, partnerships are the way that we can, you know, divide and conquer what we're, what we're wanting to achieve really. It is, it is a really interesting time because you do have that. You do have some parks are in communication. I was at Urban Surf. They're talking with Alaya Bay. And mm -hmm. So there is that. But there's also, it's pretty critical right now with Coral Mountain going down, being defeated by the uh, community board who, who at one time supported it and mm -hmm. then now all of a sudden doesn't support it. Mm -hmm. So wave pools, there's a bit of bad PR at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For them, uh, understandably, in those types of situations where mm -hmm. it is gross, you know, commercialism, yeah. plasticky and yeah. uh, environmentally yeah. da damaging. Yeah. Do you see the, the space speaking as a whole for everyone building a surf park? What do you think would help the industry? What do you think would help? Although industry is a contradictory term, you want to say some, <laughs> what would help the organic being of uh, surf parks and wave pools? Yeah, for me, it's just, it's, it's, it's very simple, but also very complicated, but very simple. It's just looking after the profits, the people and the planet. Do that in 
in balance together, starting off like absolutely starting off. Anybody who, who's wanting to get into this space, I just go, look, look at, look at that triple bottom line of how you develop a business for the future. You know, it, it's tried and tested formula that will actually, it's, it's good for people, good for the planet and good for, for the profits. Uh, and, and we know that more and more companies, particularly investment companies, you know, uh, private equity houses who are probably going to be still be funding these kind of ventures for a while longer, they've actually get much more conscious to these kind of things, ESG um, goals. And I think that therefore it, you're pushing on an open door with a lot of investors and the right kind of investors. And therefore you've got real opportunity for the whole industry to just do it in the right way and, and be, be representative of something's really good that we're, you know, we're achieving at really purpose-driven rather than what I would, what I'm worried about if we don't do it the right way is that we're sort of sucking the soul out of surfing for, for profitable gains purely. And that, that, that would be a massive shame. One last question. You've had 12 years of experience here and mm -hmm. going through this whole process and it's pretty well documented in the media and sure. you share your story a lot. And yeah. you're, you're very uh, generous with your time to do that. If you could do one thing differently, <laughs> what would it be? And, it, and and at this time, people go, oh, everything fell into place. You know, I wouldn't have known this if this other thing mm -hmm. didn't happen. So all mistakes, you know, make it work. But if it's something from, you know, paper towel dispensers to the type of plastic tubs you bought for the, the, the wetsuits to, to be redone. I would probably have jumped on, particularly on the energy stuff, a little bit earlier. So I think that that is, that for us is a complete game changer in terms of how we go forwards in the future and obviously it's just over the last couple of years it's been incredibly expensive to be able to to power waves and we're doing it in the right way but i think it would have put us set us up in a even better stead if we'd done that even a bit earlier but we could only do what we could do at the time but if we we're able to raise that finance to be able to do the solar scheme earlier then i think that that's that's good for profits good for the planet so great great well Nick, thank you so much for your time today. It's uh, It's been great talking to you and meeting you face-to-face, -face yep. finally, <laughs> after all these years and, uh, and hearing your story. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest today, Nick Hounsfield, CEO and founder of The Wave in Bristol. Join us. We'll be right here next week with another podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.